It's great to see you again. We are live again from the loft. Uh, fantastic seeing Aloni doing such a great job Zoom calling in the hosting. We live in just amazing times. We, none of us could have anticipated the kind of reality that we're experiencing right now. Actually, when we put together this series, Secret Keys to Happiness, that we're going to be going through for the next three weeks, we put this in months in advance. We were going to do it a lot earlier in our plan and our program for our preaching, but we held it off. And uh, when Corona hit, actually, we changed things yet again. We wanted to respond. We wanted to look at how we could cope with uh, loss in a lockdown, how we could experience love in a lockdown. But we feel that this is the perfect time now to do this series on happiness, because when we planned to do it, we had no idea just how relevant it would be. Because normally when you talk about happiness, we thought that we'd be talking about happiness in normal circumstances. But this whole message series is based around the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives, where he gathers his followers around him and he goes up onto a high place and they sit around him and he gives out this manifesto for his kingdom, his brand new way of doing humanity on earth. And it's basically, how do we have happiness? How do we have fulfillment? How do we get joy in life? And he speaks specifically in chapter 5 of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But he starts in Matthew 5 with what we call the Beatitudes. And he says, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who mourn. You will be comforted. And you see that the message of Jesus Christ is no more relevant than when we are in a situation where we feel broken, crushed, and poor. Where we are mourning, where we are struggling. And even though we planned this series for a time when things would be normal, we now find ourselves in a time where it is more relevant than ever. And I tell you what is happening right now in our nation and across the world. People are discovering a renewed interest and hunger for faith like never before. Because when things are fine and when things are going well and when you have no problems, no issues, you feel like you don't need God. But Jesus says, it's the poor. It's good news for the poor. It's the broken. It's the mourning. It's those who feel on the slag heap of life and humanity. And in that situation, Jesus says the great news is, I have come to bring you blessing. It's like that song that's going around with all the churches in the UK gathered together singing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. That ancient Jewish blessing from thousands of years ago, Christians, followers of Jesus are saying, you can know the blessing of God. And if you're here, you're not normally part of church, but somehow you're rediscovering the habit. You've come in through the influence of a friend, or maybe you used to be in church and, and now you're kind of finding your way back. You're dipping your toes into the virtual waters. You just need to know that this is exactly the right time to explore faith. Faith is never more relevant than when we have all the illusions of safety and prosperity stripped away from us. And the whole, whole thing about Corona is that as terrible as it is, as profound the suffering that it is causing, as destructive as it is across our lifestyle, it is merely showing up things as they really are. 
Because we have this idea that we don't need God, we're fine on our own. And then a little virus comes along and says, actually, your life is not as solid and secure as you realize. And happiness that's based on material things can be very precarious. It can be fragile. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to have a lifestyle which explores and really understands the real source of happiness. So you can be blessed in every situation and circumstance, particularly when you're in trouble. And the weird thing is that in chapter five, Jesus gives the Beatitudes and he sets out his store. This is the upside down kingdom of God where we love our enemies and we turn the other cheek and we are comforted in our mourning. But then he goes into chapter six, and what he does is absolutely fascinating. He outlines three different things that people would do. He called them acts of righteousness. Actually, the ancient Jews, they had this as practices. They were the acts of righteousness or the deeds that the covenant people of God were required to do. And they are simply these. First of all, giving. And then secondly, praying. And then finally, fasting. And Jesus outlines how we should do this. And the crazy thing that's happening in our society right now, we can all see, and you've seen this. You've you've seen it happening in your own life and you've seen it happen in your friends, is that suddenly we're all rediscovering these things, giving, praying, and fasting. It's like this inbuilt spiritual instinct that's inside of us has been reawakened. It's like we're having our priorities and our values re-scrambled and put the right way up. And people that wouldn't normally go into acts of righteousness or consider themselves spiritual, suddenly we're looking because we need to find hope from somewhere. And so with giving, we have no longer a desire to be pampered by celebrities with their coy songs. We want to hear real people who inspire us for giving. So like uh, Captain Tom or Major Tom, or I don't know what he is by now. He keeps getting promoted. He's probably commander in chief of the armed forces. But those people, they suddenly become the ones that we flock towards, the ones that we uh, go towards. We gravitate towards their generosity of spirit and we want to get behind them. And there's massive giving that is going on. It's a spiritual thing. That rejection of consumer self-obsessed self and wanting to bless others, think of others' needs and give to others, whether that's financially or whether that's volunteering or whether that's simply a clap on a Thursday evening. And suddenly giving is becoming much bigger in the national conversation. But then prayer as well. If we look back at the the stats this just came out in the um the guardian recently they reported that one in four people in the uk have visited an online church since corona started and out of those five percent of those people had never gone to a church service before but even more interesting 44 percent of people in the uk say they pray and in corona we are praying more than we have ever prayed. We're crying out to God. People, uh, the research shows that people are praying for themselves, for their loved ones, for their families. People are praying for the NHS workers, the, the health professionals. People are praying for those that are sick. Because in a time like this, when you have nothing else to hold on to, even the person that has ignored God all their life suddenly feels that it's an instinct, an urge to pray. And then fasting, Fasting, the, the, the voluntary giving up of what you would normally be 
expected to enjoy in order to pursue something else. We're all in that, whether we want to or not. And yet we've all made the choice. Sure, the government gives the guidelines, but we're keeping to them. We're giving up meeting. We're giving up pubs and food. We're giving up the nice things of life. We're giving up social life and films and theatre and, and gathering together, parties and friends. And people are giving up their weddings and giving up their birthday celebrations. We are giving up. And yet in that, we're experiencing something else. We're experiencing birdsong. We're experiencing talking to our neighbours. We're experiencing simple pleasures. We're connecting with those that we are in lockdown with. It's not all rosy. It's not all working that great for everybody. But we see, actually, there is something to be said for this self-denial. And so these three acts of righteousness, they're profound. It's about a life of generosity towards others, a life of intimacy towards God, and a life of denial towards self in order that we can find something better. And Jesus says, these are the secret keys to happiness. You want to experience happiness. You want to experience blessing. These are the things that are going to get you there. And so you would be um, forgiven for thinking that Jesus would just go and say, that's all you need to do. Just practice those three things and you'll be fine. And yet what Jesus then goes on to say, it's, it's bizarre. It's unsettling. It's not what we expect at all. It upends everything that we thought we saw coming. And actually, instead of Jesus encouraging us, Jesus is primarily warning us. He goes on and he says this, chapter 6. He says, be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give, when you give, to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, what is Jesus saying? What does that mean, your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? Why is Jesus being so cautious? Why is he putting a dampener? Surely if you give, that's always a good thing. It doesn't matter how you do it. It is in and of itself demonstrably good. So why is Jesus putting a caveat on it? Why is Jesus giving instruction on it? What is Jesus trying to say? And what do we need to hear about how he wants us to give? Don't we just give to the needy, get it done with and go on our way? No, Jesus says you should give. It's a spiritual instinct. That's a great thing. But there's a danger here for you. And the danger with acts of righteousness, if not handled well, is the danger of religion. It can go toxic. Some of you watching here, you have come back tentatively into the orbit of church, but you've been burnt in the past because you've seen Christians and they've been hypocrites. And you've seen religion and it has been harmful. And you've seen stuff done in the name of Jesus Christ and you don't have anything to do with it. And yet here we are in the midst of crisis. And Jesus says that kind of self-obsessed, self-centered giving it has a good intention, but it can so easily turn rotten. It can be about me, all about how I appear to others, all about how I'm perceived, and it can puff me up into pride. 
And so this thing, Jesus says, if you want to give, yes, that's the key to happiness, but you've got to understand how to give well. And then he goes on and he says something which is absolutely incredible. He unpacks the whole nature, and it's, it's brilliant, but the whole nature of our capitalist materialistic system. He goes on and he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, this is about what you believe. What you believe. Jesus is saying it's not just about giving, but it's about what you really believe about money in the first instance. There's two different worldviews uh, competing here. Becoming a Christian, becoming a follower isn't just a matter of doing your normal life and being your normal self and having a little bit of Jesus on the top. No, a follower of Jesus is committed to a radical rethinking of what they believe about the very nature of money. And Jesus says, listen, you've got to change how you think. You've got to change what you believe. You don't want to store up treasure on earth for human, earthly, temporal pursuits. Because you have to know that moths and vermin and thieves will destroy and they will steal. And that is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this tiny little microscopic virus like vermin, like moths, like uh, a thief stealing away that which we thought we could store up, that which we thought we could put our confidence in. Now, when I was a little boy, I went to uh, the, the kind of schools where they teach you classical subjects. And one of the subjects that I learned was Latin. Uh, it's really stood me in great stead for the rest of my life. So thank you, Mr. Croft and all the other people who taught me Latin. I am being sarcastic. But one thing that I remember learning is the word credo. Credo, credis, credit. You had to decline and it would be credo, I believe. Credis, you believe. Credit, he, she or it believes. And that word credit or credit, it literally means he or she believes. And our whole materialistic system is based on a belief. It's a value system. It's a belief system. It is a faith system. Sorry, just popping out. This thing, credit, it says, essentially, I'm taking credit because I believe that my future will be better than my present. I believe that I will still have a job in the future. And you may not know this, but credit is a fairly recent invention in human history. People in the ancient times didn't have this idea of human progression. They had a very pessimistic view of the future. They looked back the back, the history, the, um, the days gone by, those were the golden days. That was when things were great. That was when uh, human civilization was at its peak. And now we're living through something which is lesser. But we now have this thing where we believe tomorrow is always going to be secure. Tomorrow is always going to be better. I believe. And we borrow because we believe that we have the resources in the future to pay for what we have in the present. We believe it's going to be better. And again, the horror and the terror of Corona is that it has stripped us of that illusion. 
And what Jesus says when he says where moth and vermin destroy, we go, yeah, 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 that's fine. It's an old uh, Jewish civilization that you come from. You, you get holes in your moth-eaten clothes. And we have a much more sophisticated way of doing life and we're much more secure. And actually, Corona says, no, you're not secure. And, and it's not necessary that the future is going to be better. And actually, we don't know what's going to happen in about... I guess three quarters of an hour, Boris Johnson will be addressing the nation and uh, maybe there'll be some easing to the lockdown. We'll be able to go for two runs a day. Laura will be twice as wise. But it is without doubt that our future is going to be very, very challenging, very, very difficult, very, very hard to get out. Some economists are saying that we could have a, a recession that's greater than anything we've seen in the last three hundred years. Now, I don't know whether that's scaremongering and I don't know whether we'll recover and, and things won't be so bad. But Jesus is saying, you have to think about what you believe. You have to think about what you believe about money because it's catching so many people out. I read a report in the, uh, the Guardian and the Telegraph, actually, about Deliveroo. And you'd think that Deliveroo in these times would be doing a roaring trade. And they are. They're doing loads of deliveries. But actually, they're having to lay off uh, or furlough 15% of their staff. That's hundreds of people worldwide. Why? Well, because Deliveroo, just like Uber, they never make a profit. They, the whole business model is based on things getting better, things getting better, things getting better. So we can undercut the competition. We can do things cheap. We can disrupt. We can make a brand new model. I believe, I believe it's going to be better. I believe in a better future. And that's, that's a gamble to take for any of us. And we, we really hope that these companies get back on track, but it's a sobering reminder. What do you believe? Jesus says you, you can invest in something which is guaranteed, no matter how you slice it, guaranteed to rust away and to be taken from you eventually, even by the cold hand of death. Or you can give into God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. I don't just mean just saving up your possessions and giving it so that somehow in a sweet by and by you can have a mansion in glory. No, I mean the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, God's dream for humanity, a brand new humanity where there's justice and compassion, where there is goodness and mercy, where the poor and the marginalized are brought in to the center and they are celebrated, they're cared for. And instead of every man for themselves in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, we have a world of justice and equality. And Jesus says, you can give into that. You can give, you can invest into that. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says something which is so challenging, so profound, so disturbing. It might just be one of the most challenging Difficult to swallow, Jesus ever said. He goes on and he says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you go, what? <laughs> both God and the two masters? Shouldn't he, surely the, the two masters should be, you can't serve God and the devil. Or you can't serve God and your own greedy self. No, he says, you can't serve God and money. Either you can love God or you can love money, but you can't love both. Either you trust God or you trust money, 
But you can't trust both. Either you devote your life to God or you devote your life to money, but you can't devote your life to both. You can't live in one direction. Uh, you have to choose. You can't do them both at the same time. And there's something about money, this, this false belief system that says money will take care of you, money will provide for you. If you have enough, if you accumulate enough, you climb the greasy pole, you save for a rainy day. And then we find that life says, look, it's raining and it's pouring and you have no purchase. You have no hope. You trusted in the wrong thing. And Jesus says, it's not just what you believe, but it's about who you trust. Who you trust. You can trust in God or you can trust in money, but you can't trust in both. And what Jesus is saying, and I want you to hear this. He's saying, I want you to reevaluate your relationship with money. And I want you to reevaluate your relationship with God. And giving, giving can help you do that. Giving can be the very thing that trains you and teaches you to think differently, to put your treasure in a brand new endeavor and let your heart follow along with it. But you love God and you suddenly find that money is not the thing that should be trusted in or believed in. You change your relationship with money to a working relationship and you change your relationship with God to a loving relationship. So many people, and I, I wonder if this is you, we have it the wrong way round. We have a loving relationship with money because we love what it can give us and we love the way that it can provide for us and make us feel secure. And we have a working relationship with God. He's in the cupboard in a little spiritual God box and we bring him out when we need him to do something. And Jesus is saying, flip that around. Have a loving relationship with God, a working relationship with money. Learn to trust God. And so that's why when Jesus says, when you give, and yes, it is a good thing to give. It is inarguably a good thing to give. But when you do that, do it not out of self-absorption or to impress anybody else or even out of a religious kind of drive, but do it in relationship with your father. Do it in secret. Do it so that nobody knows, just you and your father. Give generously, give freely, give radically, give joyously, and do it in the presence of your father. And he who sees what you do, he's able to give you a reward. You can build an inner life. Right now, so much of the outer life has been stripped away from us, but God challenges us, invites us, I want you to develop an inner life, a secret life, because therein lies the keys to happiness. Over my life, I've learned to trust God bit by bit because I've seen him as I have been radically generous and given way more than I thought that I ever could. I've seen God provide for me in outrageous ways. And I've seen him rewarding me with his presence and with his goodness and with his blessing, causing his face to shine upon me. I remember 10 years ago, it was um, my anniversary. Been married to Kate at the time for 15 years. We've now been married for 25, I know, young. Uh, got married when I was 10, don't make it weird. But uh, that's a joke. But we had been married for 15 years and I wanted to just bless my wife. I wanted to give to her. So I came up with this kind of soppy romantic thing. I decided I would do 15 uh, days of loving Kate. 15 days with 15 gifts 
to celebrate 15 years of being in love with this most amazing woman. And so I, I made a spreadsheet and I had it all worked out and I was gonna do a different thing. So every day she got a card. She got a card, it was a handmade card, picture of her, and uh, I wrote a little poem. So she got a card, she got a poem, and then she got a gift. Now, one day the gift might be a box of chocolates. The other day, the gift might be uh, a meal out. Remember when we had meals out? Another day, the gift might be a voucher that I will finally just do some stuff around the house. Okay, I'm sorry, get off my back. But this one particular day, it was um, flowers. And so we were about, I'd already done flowers, and so this was like a repeat. It was about uh, day 12, and uh, I'm going to give my wife flowers, and I've been doing so well. And I suddenly realized as I drove back home from work that I came into the house. As I came towards my house, I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, I've got the card, I've written the poem in it, I forgot the flowers, I haven't bought flowers. And worse still, I don't have time to get out. I don't have any options. I've got meetings right now and she's gonna be here any moment. And I've messed up. I really wanted to show my wife that I loved her and I've blown it. And as I am just coming in, I didn't even pray. I didn't even ask God. I didn't have that level of faith. But the most incredible thing happened as I drove my car into my drive and approached my front door. I drive into the drive and I see something propped up against my front door. I come out and it is, I am not joking, the biggest, most lavish bouquet of flowers. I mean, <laughs> my plan was like Tesco's petrol station, carnation, reduced sticker, the whole kebab. But this was like, ugh, this is like the flowers that um, a king would give a queen. These are like the flowers that you dream of. These are like the ultimate flowers. They were just so lavish and so big and they were so beautifully wrapped. And they were literally just propped up against my door. There was a card inside the bouquet. I took the card up, I opened it. It was for a church. Now this was a Thursday. Uh, on the following Sunday, I was due to speak in a church, Elam Church in Bristol. If any Elam people are here, hi, I'm available to speak if you want me back. But the, the note said, hey, we're so looking forward to having you speak to us on Sunday. Here's some flowers for you, just for us to show our appreciation. Beautiful card. So I threw the card away. I put my card in it, put it on the table. My wife comes in and she's just overwhelmed. And I've learned over the years that a lifestyle, a secret history with God, an inner life that doesn't shout about it from the rooftops, but trusts God radically and is able to give generously. I've, I've discovered that God is so well able to give us and to provide for us. The reason we think we can't give is we feel like we can't afford it. Time like Corona, we feel like now this is not the right time, Philip. We don't want to hear this giving stuff, Philip. You're making us nervous. And I don't want to be insensitive. But I do want to say this, whether you give a small or, or a, a large amount or nothing at all, we need to re-evaluate our relationship with money. We need to renegotiate. We need to develop that secret history with God that we have put in some time. We have done some things. We have been radically generous, even in the midst of challenge, difficulty, and when the walls have been pressing in and we can't see that good future ahead of us. We don't credit money. We don't believe in money. I believe 
in my Father. And yes, he is our Father. This Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is the first time that Matthew records Jesus using the word Father for God. And again, if you're on the outside looking in, you may have thought about God, the Holy One, the Awesome One, have my mercy on us, or God, the impersonal force who's just up there and implacable and not really moved by your plight. But Jesus says, no, no, he's your Father. He sees you. He knows you. He wants to reward you. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us with an invitation to walk into an intimate, secret life with our Father God, renegotiating a relationship with money so that it's a working relationship. There's nothing wrong with money. It's a resource. We just work with it. But pressing into a loving relationship with our Father. If you're part of Metro, if you're part of the community, then in Hubs, we'll talk maybe about how we can pursue that ongoing life of generosity, how we can be giving uh, to the work of God and to the community of faith. But one thing that every one of us can do, whether you're a believer or not, is to be giving to the needy, to act on that spiritual instinct. We have a fund. It's uh, woodlandsmetro.church slash offering. So if you go to that web address, it will take you to a page where we have been doing our Corona Fund. We've been able to give away hundreds of pounds so far, thousands actually. And every penny that you give will be matched by the church from our own funds, 50% match funded, including gift aid, because we want to be part of this radically generous community of faith. And everyone is invited into that. And that fund is going towards the food banks and fair share. Churches responding uh, with food banks. It's not like they just started in Corona. They've been doing this for years and years and years and years because Jesus invites his followers to press into a life of radical giving. Now, next week, we're going to go even further. We're going to see how we can have an intimate relationship with God and experience the wonder, the mystery, the power of prayers answered. And so many people not knowing how to pray. Well, we're going to look in at that. But if you are not sure about faith, or you've got questions, you're, you're trying to reevaluate things, I want to invite you to, to take part in the Alpha course that we've got going on. You can go to our website and just look that up. We've got a course. It started last week. It's a perfect time to join right now. But I want to pray. I want to pray for all of us. I want to encourage you to be generous, not because someone's telling you to or the preacher said that you should or you think you're going to get brownie points with God. I want you to be generous so that you learn, so that you retrain your mind to trust in God, to love God and to allow your Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret to reward you. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you're the loving God who wants to provide. I thank you that you're a God who wants to give us flowers so that we can give those away and bless other people. I pray that we would discover a working relationship with money and a loving relationship with you. I want to pray, Lord God, for those of us that have a faith who realize that we flipped those two things. Lord, would you bring us into, over these next few weeks, into an intimate, deeper relationship with our loving Father. Let us experience those secret keys to happiness.
And I pray for every single person that's come here, that's looking here, that's searching for answers, for hope, for meaning, for anything. I pray, Lord God, more than anything else, that you would meet them where they are. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before I hand over to uh, Matt and the band, just a couple things to say. First of all, if you are in need, if you are in trouble, and if you uh, are part of our community, we want to be there for you. We want to support you. You don't have to do anything we want to actually give to you. We have a fund, another fund. We call it the Needy Saints Fund. And if you find yourself just in, in need, then let us know. Get in touch and we will see how we can bless you as we have been blessed. And if any of you would like prayer for anything whatsoever, we have a team of people ready to pray. Just message the page, get in touch with us, and we'll put you in contact with one of the team. It could be uh, my wife, Kate, it could be one of the others, and uh, we would love to just spend a couple minutes over a phone call and just pray for you and pray into your situation. But this is it. God loves you. God wants to bless you. He wants to make his face shine upon you. So let us allow him in this time, within this crisis, to teach us the secret keys to happiness. Over to the band.